Hey everyone, welcome to another edition of the Dan and Joe Sports Show. As always, I'm Dan. And I'm Joe. All right, Joe. Um, you know, really disappointing week last week for both the Ole Miss Rebels and the Arkansas Razorbacks. They both had huge chances for for big time upsets. I really think would have changed their seasons. Um, you know, obviously if Arkansas had beaten LSU, then it would have given them a marquee win in a year that really has been a huge disappointment to them and not living up to a lot of preseason expectations and really, uh, you know, in, in beginning in the, in the season expectations after they had that huge opening uh, season win against Cincinnati. And then for Ole Miss, of course, you know, when Arkansas lost, it took away their chances of winning the SEC West. But they still had a chance to beat Alabama, get that first win in the Lane Kiffin era over Bama, and possibly have only one loss at the end of the season. And while, you know, probably wouldn't have gotten them in the college football playoff, at least would have gotten them in the conversation. And now those are all out the window for Ole Miss. I mean, it could still be a good year. They can still win 10 games. But any dreams of having a chance at a national championship are now completely by the wayside. Yeah, and I think the thing for Ole Miss, I kind of look at it with two sides. You got first Lane Kiffin and the players who haven't been there as long, and they have a different level of expectation than the average Ole Miss fan is going to have historically. You know, their expectation was we want to win the West. And I think now you've got to hit the reset button. I saw where they're already. Uh, posting in the locker room. Now we've got to win the rest on the schedule. And I think if you're an Ole Miss fan, you know, even though you have the disappointment of not capitalizing with the golden opportunity to knock off Alabama and maybe get to 11 wins and flirt with the playoff conversation, at the end of the day, though, you have a great opportunity to beat two of your rivals in the SEC in Arkansas and Mississippi State, go 10-2, and and then go to a bowl game, maybe get to 11 wins and win more, one more game than you did last year. And while, again, it would be frustrating because Kiffin wants to have a different level of expectation for the program, for Ole Miss personally, I think that's still a very good season. Well, Jerry, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe this would be the first time if Kiffin were to do it that they had 10 wins and back-to-back seasons since uh, the days of Johnny Vaughn. Yes, yes, and I don't think they've ever won 11 games in a season. I may be wrong, but I don't think they've ever won 11. No, I've heard that stat recently. That is correct. They've never won 11 games in a season, even when they were going undefeated back in the 60s, in the 50s with Johnny Vaught. Mm-hmm. Right, so so a lot, a lot to play for. But, you know, Arkansas has kind of been their Achilles heel through the years. You know, I, I gave the stat a few weeks ago when Ole Miss traveled to Baton Rouge. They had not won – at Baton Rouge since 2008, while Ole Miss has won games in the state of Arkansas the last several years at Little Rock, they have not won at Fayetteville since 2008. Interesting. Well, maybe at least Lane Kiffin can slay one of those demons that are out there this year and just inch a little closer towards, uh, you know, the dragons of LSU and Alabama and, you know, this is one that's become a little bit of a rivalry and one that, you know, really hurts for Ole Miss fans because you feel like some of the best years they've had when they almost made the SEC Championship in 2015, Arkansas was the one who, of course, got them. When they've had seasons they were trending towards being good, they'll lose the Arkansas game and suddenly they don't look as hot. So this is a big win for them as well if they can get it. And if you look at it from the Arkansas perspective, you know, they, they started off the season, preseason top 10, 
They beat Cincinnati in a game that, you know, seemed like a huge win for them that was going to lead to some old cards and then a great season for, for Arkansas. And then they're the one SEC team that lost to this A&M just, you know, trash heap that we have over there in College Station. Arkansas lost to them. And they've had a lot of other disappointing games this year. And I thought last week, you know, they now have five losses and they have a potential to not even make a bowl game. I thought maybe the most disappointing loss of all for Arkansas was last week. I mean, LSU wanted them to win that game. They were trying to gift wrap them that football game by just playing terrible offense. And Arkansas couldn't get it out of their own way. And I really think that, you know, they have one of the worst offenses in the SEC right now. They do. They do in that Arkansas-LSU game is really the big game for Arkansas just about every year. That's kind of their big rivalry game that they think about in many ways. You know, it used to be the last game on their season for many years um, back in the day. And so I think that if you're Arkansas, you've had you know immensely you know disappointing season the way it's played out. You had a lot of promise earlier in the season, but right now though you've got to refocus. You've got to realize that you're playing a team that you've oftentimes uh, defeated in similar situations. Um, like this reminds me a lot, Dan, of 2014 when Ole Miss, I think, went up to Arkansas with a similar 8-2 and two record, and they were really good that year, and then Arkansas just came out and blasted them. Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen, but I think if you're Arkansas, you know you know that this is a school that historically you've had success against when you were the underdog. And I saw the line the last time I checked, I think um, Ole Miss just favored by two points. And so the writing's on the wall for this to be a very close game. Oh, Joe, I don't know if there's any doubt it's going to be a very close game. And we saw the conditions they had in Arkansas last week, how cold it was. Nationwide, it's been colder this week. I got to imagine it's going to be in the 20s when they play this game. And, I mean, you know, they deal with a lot of cold weather in Oxford, too. But I've been to Fayetteville before. When you're there during the wintertime or when you're there even in the late fall, it's a completely different animal. And so the good news for Ole Miss is that running game travels. It's good in cold weather. But this is a very hungry Arkansas team. I mean, they're standing on the precipice now of maybe going five and seven this year and not making a bowl game. Or they could finish the season strong, go seven and five, maybe win their bowl game. And with an eight and five record, although you didn't achieve the goals that you had going into the season, I don't consider that a bitter disappointment if you're Arkansas. So this is a game that could decide whether they get you know, multiple top 15 wins, uh, you know, a little bit of disappointment against some of the not great teams in the SEC, but still a good building block forward. Or they could lose this game and lose to Missouri, and then suddenly it's a wall season. So there's a lot to on the line for the Hogs, too. No, there really is. And with the weather forecast, I may be wrong, but I think somebody said it could even be in the teens. Like, I think as low as like 11 or 12 degrees, like it could really just be uh, crazy cold, but you're right. You know, while that would be tough for Ole Miss, the good news is that the running game travels. And and I hope that this is a game that Kiffin can call some smart plays and hopefully Evans can play and hopefully they'll just commit to the running game and not try to force things with dark. Yeah, one thing we've seen from Arkansas is that you can run the football against them. They're a team that's susceptible to the run. They've gotten burned against even teams like Auburn and Texas A&M have been able to run the ball pretty successfully against them. I think that's going to be there for Ole Miss. The passing guards are going to be at a premium. 
But the good news is for Ole Miss, uh, depending on the health of K.J. Jefferson, if Arkansas has either one of those backup quarterbacks they had in last week, they're going to have trouble passing the ball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you could think that Ole Miss, while they've struggled to sack most quarterbacks, they could probably get some pressure to those backups. Yeah. Uh, Joe, I think that uh, even though there's a lot of a lot of negative history here, and I think Arkansas has got a lot of play for Without a known factor of a fully healthy KJ Jefferson, got to give the lean to the Rebels on this one, and I think Ole Miss gets one step closer to having another ten win season. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, the only two reasons I would pick against Ole Miss would be the cold, cold weather affecting them, and then also the history in Fayetteville. Aside from that, I feel like if you're just looking at the the X's and O's and the strategy and the makeup of these two teams, I think objectively you give Ole Miss the nod. That's right, Jack. I think it's going to be a close game there. I like Ole Miss in this one, 28-24. Uh, I saw a prediction that I kind of liked, kind of the makings of a crazy game, a 34-28. to 28. I think I'll go with that. Okay. You know you know what that's the score from, Jeff? What's that? The King 6 game. It's 34-28. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's one that always sticks out in my mind right there. <laughs> um, Joe, speaking of Auburn – uh, not exactly a really exciting opponent this week, but one that uh, might be a little bit tough. I think Western Kentucky is a team that's bowl eligible right now. Auburn's only favored by five and a half points. And, you know, this will be the second uh, time that Caddy gets to coach a game at home. Uh, we saw the kind of excitement that he had last week. Um, you know, I think that, you know, obviously if he wants any chance to hold on to, uh, you know, any kind of thought of being the ne- the actual head coach at Auburn, he needs to win this game. He needs to win it impressively. He doesn't he just need to cover the spread. Auburn needs to go out and win this game by 17 plus points, I think. Yeah, they definitely need a good showing. And I think that, you know, the tricky thing about it is Western Kentucky is one of those teams where, you know, even though it's a group of five teams, they are in many years – a quality opponent. Like they've mm-hmm. had years, they've won Conference USA and had 10 or 11 wins. They even have uh, one of their alumni, a quarterback who has started some games, uh, Zap, uh, this year in New England. So they have, you know, some NFL players that have come through there. But ultimately, you know, Auburn is going to be the more physical team. I feel like they're going to run the ball effectively. I don't think Western Kentucky has seen a running attack like that. And I think that in the trenches, that's where you see a difference in these kind of games. You know, when you're Western Kentucky, and you play in a smaller conference, you're just not going to face the physicality that you see in the SEC. That's right, Joe. I mean, they're not going to see running backs the caliber of Tank Bigsby and Jarquez Hunter week in and week out like what they're going to see this week. And I look for Auburn to, like what they did last week, establish the running game, have that be the focal point. Give Robbie Ashford some opportunities um, when the, you know when they're expecting the run and you know getting the eight men in the box, and I look for Auburn to win this game somewhere in the realm of a twenty-eight to seventeen, something like that. I could see that. Like it, it's different. Like I said, from other games where you might play an FCS team because you've got to lead. It's a game where you've got to play the starters longer. Like it's not a game where you're going to be able to rest the second half. Yeah, I don't see um, you know Robbie Ashford uh, having much time to to relax and getting to see any Holden Jariner this week. I think that you're probably going to have the starters playing this whole game. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but Joe, on that subject, we talked about it. Like right now, when you get on Twitter, um, talking to people I know in Auburn, it seems like every analyst that that talks about this, the only name you're hearing for the Auburn head coaching job is Lane Kiffin. 
And I don't know what that means, Joe. I mean, that could mean either one of two things. Either that's the message that Jimmy Sexton wants everybody to hear, and he's just behind the scenes really working up an incredible extension for Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss, or it means this is legit because you keep seeing all these stories that the, the second the Egg Bowl, like, you know, finishes, that Lane Kiffin's going to, you know, go to Auburn. And that's what you keep seeing. And Joe, someone that's been an Ole Miss fan their whole life, what is your feel on this right now? Well, I saw today that Ole Miss had extended an offer. They're trying to make an offer to Kiffin to make him one of the top ten highest paid coaches in the in the country. I can't remember the the figure on it. If it was like a nine million dollar annual salary, I, I can't remember. I'd have to look it up online. But I know that they're trying to make that counter offer to try to keep him. Um, the vibe that I feel right now, Dan, is I agree with you that the rhetoric you hear is all Kiffin, you know, being connected to Auburn. And I think that that makes sense for me if I'm Auburn because I want Kiffin to know that I'm totally committed to him as my first choice. Like, there's not mm-hmm. like, you know, he's a bridesmaid or anything like that, like first choice. But, you know, the vibe that I get from looking at it from the Ole Miss and the Kiffin standpoint is I just don't feel like it's a done deal. I could see it happening, but I still think there's a decent chance that, you know, we see Kiffin staying at Ole Miss because, as we've talked about before, I just don't think it's a perfect fit for Kiffin. And I still think there's a decent chance that you could see either Cadillac Williams promoted to head coach or even a Hugh Freeze or somebody else eventually hired. Yeah, Joe, I mean, I haven't really made up my mind about what I think it is. I mean, as someone that is a huge Auburn fan, I understand why people want Lane Kiffin, but I also like Ole Miss so much that I like where he is at Ole Miss, and I think it makes more sense for him from getting to watch both of them so much. I think he's a better fit at Ole Miss personally than I think he is at Auburn. And, you know, I just think that the style that he has doesn't really work as great at Auburn. Uh, and plus, I kind of think that Deion Sanders is the best candidate that Auburn could hire. That's the one that I've wanted since day one. And I kind of think that almost what Cadillac is doing right now, in my mind, is a you know is a is a showing that Deion could work because I almost feel like if you could hold on to Cadillac Williams and make him like assistant head coach and bring in Deion, what an exciting recruiting duo that would be right there to really just get Auburn going. And if you could bring in like some high-level offensive and defensive coordinators, it's all about the players you can get right now. And I kind of think that's the way that Auburn should go. It's so flashy right now. You got your brand-new, you know, state-of-the-art football complex, which if you watch videos of it, it might be the nicest one in America now. And I kind of think the glitz and the glamour is what Auburn needs to go for and as quirky and everything as Lane Kiffin is, I don't really think he fits the kind of glitziness that Auburn's going for right now. No, no. It, I think it, it's a difference in a culture fit. Like, like I'm not saying that Auburn's not, you know, a prized job. Like, I don't want anybody to think that. I just think for Lane Kiffin personally, it wouldn't work out as well as it would for somebody else to go there. And I feel like, you know, a good point you bring up with Cadillac Williams, if Lane Kiffin gets the job, there's no way, in my opinion, he would want to keep Cadillac Williams on staff. He's going to want to have full autonomy. But Deion Sanders or somebody else, a Hugh Freeze, another candidate, I think they're more prone to keep Cadillac Williams on staff. And um, I think that that just kind of goes back to the fact that Lane Kiffin, he wants everybody just to let him run the program. It'll miss the way he sees fit. And everybody just kind of stand back and let him do it. And I just don't think 
that would be um, allowed at Auburn. I think there's a lot of evidence to support what you're saying right there, Jay. Um, you know, on the Hugh Freeze topic, uh, I've been against that like hardcore since day one. That's someone I don't want. Um, you know, part of it is I, I feel like with all the trumped up things that happened against Carson, for you to go out and hire someone like Hugh Freeze that has the moral baggage we know he has, to me, just seems incredibly hypocritical, and it would it would upset me. Um, but when I, but on that topic, in my mind, if you're going to go down that road, you're going to get on this rabbit hole of hiring someone that has made some real personal transgressions in the past. Why don't you just go full board and hit the grand slam? Let's just hire Urban Meyer and be done with it. If you want to be vilified, then go out and get the best vilified person because guess what? You can talk about the moral transgressions of Urban Meyer, which you could write a book on that, but you could also write a book on how incredibly successful he's been. I mean, guys won three national championships. In my mind, I'm thinking if you're going to go that route, let's just go all the way and get Urban Meyer. It would be interesting. Well, the thing about Freeze and Meyer both, um, they neither one of them is afraid to coach against Nick Saban. You know, both of them have beaten Nick Saban multiple times. And so, to me, that's something that would stand out about both candidates, you know, is being able to handle that, uh, that side of the rivalry. I mean, and, you know, you, you want to go another thing that – Makes Kiffin not a fit. He still hasn't beaten Alabama yet. And in fact, he's had some of his most worst coaching moments at Ole Miss in games against Alabama. And we've also seen, you know, both um, Freeze and um, Meyer beat Georgia. And so, I mean, you know, with both big rivals, you have success for those two candidates. But, you know, maybe it's somebody that I'm not even thinking about. I, I don't know who that wild card would be. I don't know if it's Matt Rule. I, I don't know. But um, I, I do wonder sometimes maybe if it could be somebody I'm not even thinking of. Well, Joe, let me just give you, like, an amazing segue. Boom. You know, could we run? How about Dave Aranda, who gets to host TCU in his house this week? I've been a huge Dave Aranda fan since day one. He is a great defensive coordinator. What he did last year with Baylor had just a showstopper defense. And if you look at that LSU team that won the national championship in 2019 – they had an incredible offense. I mean, you know, one of the greatest offenses that ever existed. But at the end of that season, that defense was really what was moving LSU. And even in the game uh, against Auburn, where their offense really didn't play that good against a really great Auburn defensive line, uh, that defense for LSU was what got the job done. And as soon as Dave Miranda left, you saw a significant decline in the defense over LSU the last couple of years. And I know that, you know, we talked – Talks about people who've had their stars go down a little bit. Baylor's having a little bit of a rough season, but I think that if Dave Aranda, you know, was interested in maybe getting an SEC football head coaching job, this weekend could be a great chance for him to maybe get himself in the running for the Auburn job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, he's a guy that he needs a win like that, you know, for his stock to really rise this year. But he definitely, if he's interested in going to the SEC, you know, or getting a promotion you would think that he's got to go sooner rather than later with the case study, of course, being on the contrary, us talking earlier about the Mark Stoops and the Matt Campbells in the world. Absolutely. I mean, you know, you kind of – I kind of look at um, Dave Aranda is in a similar position as Mel Tucker. You know, I feel like last year was his time to really hit it hard. Now it's going down a little bit, but I still feel like he has the chance to make that quick move to a better job based on what he did last season if he can move pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Um, but on that, I mean, uh, TCU travels to Waco. They, you know, back to back road trips. Um, 
you know, great defensive performance for them last week in beating Texas. They're taking on a, a Baylor team that's really kind of reeling. They lost 31 to three last week against Kansas State with a backup quarterback. What do you see from this game, Joe? And do you see this as being uh, TCU's time when they finally go down? I would have thought that if not for the loss that Baylor suffered to Kansas State. I mean, it's still a tricky game having, you know, the, the second on the back end of back-to-back road games in tough environments, especially playing the defending conference champion that won the Sugar Bowl last year. But I, I just can't bet against this uh, TCU team at this point. Uh, Joe, I'm in the same boat right now. Um, I actually laid the points with TCU this week. I've, I've done. I've been betting on TCU all season because they just keep showing that they can do it. And their offense uh, it travels. It's done a great job. And now their defense is playing better. That's two games in a row where I saw their defense be the reason they won. They were they were the catalyst in a 17 to 10 win against Texas. But anybody that watched that TCU uh, the TCU Texas Tech game. Their defense played incredible against Texas Tech and had a lot of good pass rushes when their offense wasn't playing great in that game. There was about three quarters of the game where TCU's offense was pretty anemic outside of their running back, Miller, and their defense was a spurting to victory. And seeing what's going on right now with TCU's defense, they're becoming much more of a complete team. And I kind of look for them to flex a little bit this week, and I'm not saying they're going to go in there and beat them 31-3 like what Kansas State did. But I can see this being a 17, 21 point plus win for TCU this weekend. Yeah. And what impresses you about TCU is their ability to win games in so many different ways. You know, that's always, they say the cliche, the mark of a good team. And that's what you've continued to see. And, you know, I think that they have a good chance to pass the test uh, this weekend in Waco. That's right, Joe. So, yeah, I like TCU in this one big, at least uh, two to three scores. Um, Joe, speaking of big, you know, we talked about how the star for Mark Stoops is fading. He may have missed his golden goose opportunity that he had, maybe even earlier this season, <laughs> to leave Kentucky after a couple games and take a good job because Kentucky is really going downhill after the loss of Vanderbilt. We know what the best uh, medicine is after you lose to a team like Vanderbilt. It's to get Georgia to come play you. Uh, Joe, this is going to be really tough. I mean, if I were really one of this – I would maybe consider sitting out of this game right now because his draft stock, for some reason, he's still got a first-round draft grade. How's he going to look when he scores zero points against Georgia and throws three interceptions? It's going to be tough for him. And, you know, coming into the year, the ironic thing is this was penciled as maybe the game of the year in the SEC East because I think a lot <laughs> of people or some people thought that Kentucky was going to be having a season similar to what Tennessee's had. Mm-hmm. You talked about some of the predictions for them to go 11-1. and one. So this kind of looked like the game that could, theoretically, possibly, decide the SEC East. And now it's just Kentucky trying to salvage things. And I think that it's really uh, a question of how respectable does Kentucky show up in this game because I just don't see any pathway to victory for them. No, I don't either, Joe. I mean, uh, this leads me to my lock of the week. Uh, talking about Kentucky's offense, I have said repeatedly, I think Will Levis is maybe the most overrated college football quarterback I've ever seen in my entire life. I, I've never seen a guy that in my mind looks no better than a fourth-round draft pick get like lauded so much as this guy does and then just continually disappoint. And, Joe, this week, the over-under in this game is 49 points. The only way the over hits on this point in this game is if Georgia scores over 50 points because – 
This Kentucky offense right now is reeling. Chris Rodriguez is good, but even with the way Rodriguez is and Levis's ability as a runner, I think Kentucky's got the 13th rushing offense in the SEC. They don't do anything well right now, and Georgia is an absolute machine. And I look at this to be a game that's like 41 to 41 to three or something like that. And that's if, you know, Georgia cares. And I just see the under as a great bet right here. And if you look at it, I think I've looked at the stats on this. Unders have hit on nine out of 10 Georgia games this year. I think this is definitely a good bet. I know it's not the most uh, sexy bet you could have, but I like the under, under 49 points for Georgia, Kentucky as my lock of the week. I could see that, Dan. And, you know, when you look at uh, Kentucky with Levis specifically, you're right. Yeah, I've been disappointed because I was really rooting for him and for Kentucky to have a good year. You know, I wanted to see them capitalize and maybe even challenge Georgia in the East. And I always hear the rhetoric, like you alluded to, about Levis getting a first-round grade in the NFL draft. But when you watch so many games, you just don't quite see that. And it kind of is indicative to me of the fact that every year there's always that uh, – quarterback prospect like a Blaine Gabbert's always kind of the example mm-hmm. I go to that's it's a good always one. kind of you know put up there as a first round grade and it just doesn't really quite add up and Joe you know what's going to happen now that I've talked so much trash about Will Levis and uh, I've hated on him so much for his high draft pick uh, the Saints are going to draft throw away three draft picks to draft Will Levis and just make me rip out my own hair well, I was going to say, fortunately, they don't have a first-round pick, but I guess they could try to trade. They're just going to go even further down. Like, just trade the rest of their draft away so they can get well off this. Get him, like, number eight in the draft. Yeah, get him, get him number eight in the draft. Um, but, yeah, no, I mean, what's funny is I, I was up there in um, in Happy Valley at Penn State to see the Penn State-Auburn game last year, and I heard about the way these Penn State fans just hated on Sean Clifford so much. And I just got to say, I mean, Clifford is a better quarterback than Will Levis. It's so crazy to say it, but when you watch him, Clifford is consistently much better than Will Levis is. And there's a reason that he had to transfer out that James Franklin always stuck with uh, Clifford over him. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, Joe, you know, we talked about it in the last episode that last week was the Pac-12 being the Pac-12. You had Oregon and UCLA. They each had one loss. They had a chance to – maybe get back in the college football playoff picture. And Oregon went out, lost a very close game to Washington. They had a very controversial call at the end. I I really thought that um, the guy's foot was not out of bounds on the catch that would have given him a field goal to tie the game, but they called it the way they did. Conversely, UCLA, just absolutely embarrassing performance for Chip Kelly and his his crew and losing to an Arizona team that's maybe going to make a bowl game. I'm not sure. They get USC this week, and USC is suddenly the Pac-12's only chance to make the college football playoff. And Joe is a bonus lock of the week. What does the Pac-12 do when they have a chance to make the college football playoff? They always blow it every single year. They have had two teams make the college football playoff. Oregon in the very first year in 2014 – uh, they won a game, and of course, ended up getting blasted by Ohio State and the third-string quarterback and Cariel Jones. And then Washington made it and played a very blase, boring game against Alabama. That you know, where they lost like seventeen points, but it wasn't that interesting. And since that time, 
Oregon with Justin Herbert was really the only chance that, you know, actually Oregon's had two chances. Uh, you know, they had they had the they had the Herbert team that should have made it, then lost a, a head scratcher to Arizona State when they were clearly a team that was, you know, good enough to be in the college football playoff. I saw my own eyes when they took on Oregon. And then the next year they go out and beat Ohio State and then uh, lose, uh, you know, another team like Cal or something like that. And now you see them go down to Washington. UCLA looks so good and beating Utah. And they drop this game to Arizona, and they're suddenly out of it. Uh, Joe, USC is a team that is, like I think they're like number 80 in rushing defense. And that's a scary stat for me with this UCLA team that has Zach Charbonnet, who I think is a top five running back in all of America. Uh, you know, they're their quarterback. Uh, uh, Dorian uh, DTR is a really good runner. And I actually look for UCLA to win this game on the strength of their running attack. And while they're going to give up a lot of points, I think Caleb Williams is going to have a good game. I think UCLA pulls the upset. And yet again, the Pac-12 is out of the playoffs. I, I can see that, Dan. I think that's a really good analysis there. And I think that we've seen USC in years past um, lose games to UCLA, especially on the road, you know, quote-unquote road game. And, and I just think that it's very um, representative of what we oftentimes see with the narrative of the Pac-12 and just kind of the annual slip-ups of the favored teams just kind of counseling each other out. And I think this will be another example of that I definitely could see Caleb Williams in the passing offense having some success. But I got to give the edge to the team that runs the ball more effectively in this matchup. Yeah, that's what I think too. I mean, this is definitely a game where I think Chip Kelly is going to get that win. And, you know, he might look at this as a season where he had a chance to make the college football playoff. But I think this is another good step for UCLA. And I think Chip Kelly is doing a solid job there. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, the saddest thing for the Pac-12, though, and here's my prediction, Joe, is you get UCLA to win this game. And all of a sudden, UCLA takes on Utah in the Pac-12 championship game. Utah goes out and wins pretty substantially. And Utah looks back on a really poor effort against Florida as the reason they didn't make the college football playoff. Yeah, that that's definitely a big miss for them. And then also, you know, you think about the Utah-Oregon game this weekend will be interesting as well. But whoever wins, you know, that the winner, uh, the disappointment is what could have been. Yeah, that's what it's going to be with that game. I mean, like I said, you have USC having that, that chance to make the college football playoff. But for the rest of these guys, they're going to look at like them having one performance that you just didn't understand. I mean, everybody understands what happened to Oregon when they played Georgia. But that Washington game, you know, Washington didn't have that great of a defense, and that's one that you kind of feel like Bo Nix wishes he would have had. Um, UCLA, how dare you lose to Arizona? That was awful. And, you know, for Utah, they were the better team, I thought, than Florida. And they had kind of a bad play call at the end of the game right there and lost a game that, you know, really, I think, set the Pac-12 back a lot. Yeah, that was kind of like the frustration, almost like to the old this level. You know, why don't you run the football there where you're so close to the, to the end zone? I think that was a first down play, too, when he threw the interception. Mm-hmm. But yeah. such is the life of the Pac-12. And luckily enough for Joe and I, we live in SEC country and – we always at least have one team in the college football playoff, usually the one that wins it. 
And with that braggadociousness out of the way, I want to thank everybody for listening to our show. Uh, you can uh, tune in on Facebook, subscribe to our Facebook channel, and catch all the old Dan and Joe sports shows of the last year. You can also uh, get on Spotify and listen to all of our shows of the last couple years. And, of course, uh, you can follow us on Twitter, at DJ Sports Show, and like our Facebook fan page. And as always, I'm Dan. And I'm Joe.